Guerrilla Gardening and the Art of Plant-Based Protest. Alexander Harris takes a look at the piazzification of our urban areas, finding solace in a little-known form of green activism. Gardening and cultivation have a rich history as forms of protest. In the 17th century, proto-communist groups like the Diggers set about growing fruit and vegetables on St George's Hill in Surrey, less than 30 miles from Lambeth. Enthusiastically rejecting notions of private property, they set about building a more egalitarian order, rooted in the tending of the soil as well as the soul. Continuing in this grand, if erratic tradition, guerrilla gardeners are contemporary activists who circumvent private property laws in order to plant and cultivate all manner of plant-based life in neglected urban areas. Although undeniably a global movement, spanning LA to Melbourne, guerrilla gardening in Britain found its earliest and most enduring form of expression in the London borough of Lambeth. Since beginning his blog, guerrillagardening.org, in 2004, Richard Reynolds of Elephant and Castle has often been regarded as spearheading the movement in the UK. Deliberately drawing attention to continuing privatisation in London's war against neglect and scarcity of public space, it is perhaps unsurprising that Reynolds conducts much of his work in and around his home borough. That Elephant and Castle remains central in the debate around gentrification with its ever-growing number of luxury high-rises, gated communities in the sky, only serves to add a sense of urgency to the plant-based activism conducted in the area. Whilst there are ample histories of the movement, in forms of books, blogs and TED Talks, exactly how it functions as a form of protest deserves closer attention. It is also worth exploring what guerrilla gardening positions itself against, and what it says about the current state of urban spaces, as places to be lived in and experienced at both an aesthetic and political level. Emerging from a tradition that emphasises the local, democratic and ecological as fundamental aspects of a just society, guerrilla gardening is both individualist and communalist, predicated on a firm belief that individuals can make a difference in altering their material conditions. Significantly, activists operate outside of both state and corporate control, advocating personal initiative, self-sufficiency and cooperation, whilst blurring the lines between public and private activities. To garden publicly and illegally is not just to render the private visible, but to turn a typically introverted act of leisure into a quietly resilient, cooperative form of protest. Guerrilla gardening is saturated in the language of defiance, warfare, strategy. The very name is suggestive of its transgressive nature, organised along paramilitary lines, often in secrecy at night, by volunteers in the name of a greater cause. Indeed, Reynolds' website playfully gives those seeking ways to get involved the opportunity to join an existing cell. Yet this is also indicative of the humour that lies at the heart of this deceptively gentle strain of activism. Guerrilla gardening is perhaps best thought of as a form of organic graffiti, a civic expression of dissatisfaction with both the material and social conditions of the lived urban environment. Much graffiti draws its power from its ability to embody despair, apathy and alienation, demanding to be acknowledged, refusing to be forgotten. The floral markings left by guerrilla gardeners are instilled with an obvious hopefulness. If we are shocked by them, it is not out of discomfort or fear of their ugliness, as tags scrawled on neglected buildings are so often perceived. We are shocked by their incongruous beauty, their humour, their refusal to accept rage as the default position of protest. Nevertheless, guerrilla gardening remains powerful. 
serving to highlight the ways in which those with power continue to neglect, ignore, and profit off the hollowing out of public space. In the UK, at least, guerrilla gardening can partly be seen as a reaction against a certain conception of how a city ought to look. This might be described as the piazzification of civic space, and is largely based on a misplaced idealization of the Renaissance city, particularly as the silver bullet for solving problems of urban regeneration. This is a phenomenon whereby powerful corporate bodies, usually developers, acquire ownership of prominent sites and redevelop them along slick private lines whilst giving these areas the veneer of a public space. Aesthetically, piazzification emerges through the use of an updated classical iconography. Obelisks, statues and columns, sometimes even given the illusion of centuries of wear, are implemented to create the impression of a Renaissance square. Examples abound, but in London, key sites include Paternoster Square, which surrounds St Paul's and is owned by the Mitsubishi Estate Corporation, the rather surreally named More London Square, home of the Greater London Authority and is owned by More London Estates, and Granary Square, owned by the King's Cross Central Limited Partnership. All highly visible areas, apparently there to serve public good, but only at the landowner's leisure. One need only glance at how members of the Occupy movement were treated as trespassers when protesting outside the churchyard of Wren's Cathedral to understand what guerrilla gardeners are up against. It is ironic that these places, professing the values of a modern, public-spirited city, deliberately drawing on the architectural vocabularies of the Medici's Florence, the Forum and the Agora, should fail so utterly to live up to their supposed intentions when used for genuinely civic purposes. Indeed, nowhere is more obvious than St George's Circus, on the Lambeth and Southwark border. Once awash with plant life, largely thanks to guerrilla gardeners, this historic site has been transformed, completely paved over by developers. This happened within five years. If you looked at original proposals from 2015, you would notice a striking difference to what lies there now. The promise of continued abundance has not been kept. Yet the developers seem at pains to show that the much-loved flora would remain after completion, cynically acknowledging concerns of the community. The work of guerrilla gardeners serves to highlight the Janus face of these places, exposing and refusing to accept such sterile and homogenized vistas that are both aesthetically bland and politically toxic. In doing so, they cheerfully contest the idea that the urban environment should be owned, planned and controlled by unaccountable interests corporate or otherwise, gesturing to a possible future that is more ecologically and socially just. Refusing to descend into cynicism, preferring to stick out its tongue, this plant-based protest weaponizes surprise, colour and sheer fecundity, encouraging us to become active and confident participants in shaping urban life without waiting for permission. Guerrilla gardening implores us to ask more of our civic spaces and to question those bodies that regulate them. The way forward is obvious. We must cultivate our cities.